and just being really transparent with them because the more transparent you are they can't really question you because you're being truthful and honest it's when you start keeping things and they're like well how do I know if you're telling the truth how do I know you know if you really are poorly so it's just transparency welcome to freewheeling with Cardin. this podcast shares stories of people with various disabilities and shines a new light on accessibility topics our goal is to knock down barriers so we can roll through life a little easier and build a community to do this together. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Carden at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. We welcome you on your journey towards inclusion for all. And now, your host, Carden Wyckoff, global disability advocate and wheelchair warrior. Today joining me is Georgina from The Circle UK, just to share her spotlight on living with Crohn's disease. So welcome, Georgina. So happy Hello. you're here. Thank you for having me. Um, yes, I'm Georgina. I'm from The Circle in the UK. I've uh, only just been catching up with The Circle in the US, and I think it's a lot more entertaining than my series. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I thought I'd chat a little bit about my Crohn's disease. I have got Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed in... 2017. Um, I actually had it for about three years undiagnosed before that. And they kept diagnosing me with literally anything other than Crohn's disease. Obviously, it's a very expensive illness to have in terms of treatment and things. And I think it's a lot of effort for, for people to have to sort of diagnose. And I think a lot of people just kind of gave up on me or pushed it under the rug because it was too perplexing or difficult or confusing. My initial symptoms were sort of chronic fatigue, going to the toilet constantly or not at all. It was just swings and roundabouts with that hair loss, um, weight gain, um, excruciating pain when I ate certain foods, just either being sick or constipated, which is, it really wasn't nice. And I knew something was really, really wrong. And there's a lot of blood when I went to the toilet and stuff. And I, I just, I knew that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't normal. I was then on treatment for about a year. Yeah, but maybe less than a year, about six or seven months, actually, I'd say. And I was on steroids. I was on eight a day was my maximum. Wow. Crazy. I, I, I so got much. really big moon face. They call it moon face, which is where your face really swells up. And um, I don't, only yeah. looking back the other day through my camera roll while I was trying to clear out my phone, did I see how bad my moon face really was. Now I'm like a whole year and a bit on. I was taking azathioprine, which makes your hair fall out. I was injecting myself with endless drugs and stuff like that. On Dancy trying to stop me vomiting because I'd always vomit the drugs back up because there's so many. And it just was, I was rattling for about seven months. And then I collapsed in January 2018 and I got rushed into hospital and they said I had appendicitis which I didn't cut a long story short and I cut a long story short I was in the hospital for about a month and they kept saying oh you'll get to go home now you'll get to go home now and I couldn't I kept getting poorlier and poorlier and then I got septicemia and I had less than 24 hours so it was an emergency surgery and I woke up with an ileostomy bag so I had those initial thoughts of well, oh, first well, off, like me, yeah. waking up and being like, what is this external thing? Well, they told me just before I went under, you're probably going to wake up with the bag. So, and it, we're talking two, three hours before. So I had two, three hours to really get my head around the fact that when I wake up, I'll be pooping out my stomach. And that was the most difficult thing out of all of it. Out of the surgery, the recovery, everything was that mental challenge of being like, you have no choice. You're going to be put to sleep. You're going to have your insides chopped about pulled out and you're going to poo for the next six months at your stomach. And normally you have a few weeks or so to really channel that and understand that and do your research. And I didn't. And I wouldn't, after the surgery, I didn't look at my bag for about three days. I refused to look down. 
And I actually vlogged my whole experience in hospital. It's all on YouTube. And you see me looking at my bike for the first time. And I was just like mortified. I was like, what on earth is that? I think I refused to even touch it or change it for about eight or nine days. I just refused to even acknowledge it was a part of me until I realised I wasn't going home from hospital until I learned to change it. I've been in hospital for about a month at this point. So I was like, okay, I'll do anything to get home. And I had that bag for about seven or eight months. And then I got it reversed. The reversal process wasn't that bad, actually, I don't think. Uh, I mean, training your bum hole to go to the toilet again, so it's a muscle, was quite comical um, and tricky at the same time. But that's quite a quick process. And then I remember they said to me, you know, it's really unlikely that your Crohn's will come back for a while. You know, you're really healthy enough to have this reversal. And then within three months of the reversal, it came back. And I'm now back on all the treatment that I was on before again. So oh, whether wow. I need to have a bag again in the future is another story. But right now, uh, the treatment, you know, it is responding well to me. I am, I am the healthiest I've ever been with Crohn's at the moment, almost in remission. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. That's a story for sure. And mm-hmm. what is it like? What, um, so you were what, 18, 19, 20 kind of? Okay. T- well, 22. <laughs> well, when all this was going down. Oh yeah, I was about eighteen. Just yeah, just, just okay. turned eighteen. Got it. it was got an it. Absolute nightmare. Absolute right. And you're, nightmare. you know, a senior in high school, maybe about to go into college or university, and mm-hmm. you know, everything is the world is all you really care about at that age is like, how does yeah. the world see me? I dropped out of college. I didn't go to uni. Like it just took over my whole life. Yeah. Like what were what were some of those other emotions that went through your mind just having to deal with it all? I was scared. I felt very alone. There wasn't a lot at the time all over the internet and social media regarding Crohn's and colitis. There is now. There's a massive uh, wave of it now, which is great. But I just felt very alone. I didn't know anyone who had a bag. I didn't know anyone who had Crohn's disease. So I took it upon myself to sort of source friends, find people online and chat with them. And very quickly, I felt okay because it's a really supportive sort of community. Um, the IBD community but at first I just felt very isolated I felt like no one understood not my parents not my brothers nobody and were there any you know like community events that you could go to or was it really just an online community is it like your Facebook blogging um, it was a Facebook group a lot of googling um, on the Crohn's and Class website there's a helpline I sort of went on the Crohn's and Class Instagram page saw who was following them my mum had a few friends at work who had family members with Crohn's and Crohn's disease and colitis. And then I thought, you know, what, I'm going to continue with my YouTube channel, really use it to spread awareness because there isn't a lot of the stuff that I thought I needed. So I thought, why don't I create the content? And in doing that, I attracted a lot of people who were struggling as well. So I've made friends a lot through that. Probably the most friends I've made have been through me mm-hmm. uh, sharing story. I love that. Yeah. Having a platform and having that network of people is always the greatest. Yeah. That's why I love doing yeah. this podcast because I just meet so many new great people and then they connect yeah. me with others. And so, but what would you tell someone who's first diagnosed? There's a lot um, of emotion there. I would, I'd tell them to be patient. It's, it's a very, because it's, for me, it was patience was my biggest struggle because I just wanted to know already what my trigger foods were, what I could and couldn't take, what my, you know, my drug dosage tolerance was. I wanted to know how much hair I was going to lose on my head with this treatment. I wanted to know how long I was going to, I needed to know everything. And actually every single case with Crohn's disease, I can't speak on colitis because I don't have it. I have a lot of friends who have colitis, but I feel like it's not my place. But with Crohn's, 
every case is different. That's why you won't find a recipe book for Crohn's disease because everyone has a different trigger food. Everyone has some alcohol effects. Some people, it doesn't affect others. It's really different. So it is a case of patience and really working out your tolerances. I think I'm going to go with about four months after I was diagnosed was, was the point when I probably was like, okay, I kind of know I can eat that and I kind of know I can't, you know, but it did take a while. And then when I had a bag, I could eat anything I wanted and it was, it was great. <laughs> what were some of those <laughs> indulgent foods that you ate when you had the bag? I saw your thing. You were like, I could watch the whole Titanic movie and not have to get up. <laughs> Literally. It was amazing. I could eat like, I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat a lot of things high in fiber when I had for my bag because it would break down in my gut and that's obviously what my disease was. So I had to eat a lot of beige food, pasta, bread, chicken, baked beans. But as soon as I had a bag, oh my gosh, I was eating every colour under the sun. Red peppers, red onions, spinach, big salads, um, loads of sweet corn, loads of popcorn. Couldn't eat popcorn. Um, <laughs> just loads of really healthy stuff. But like there were certain things I couldn't eat with a bag. Like I couldn't eat sweet corn often because it would fly out my back and sound like I was making microwave popcorn. Like I'd be sat in the room <laughs> with everyone and so I'd be filling up with popcorn. I'd be like, oh my God, what's going on? I had to stop eating nuts and I love nuts mm-hmm. because they split your bag and I had m- too many leaks and I thought, you know what? I can't keep leaking food all over people. I've got to sacrifice something. So <laughs> I stopped eating nuts. Um, but right. apart from that, I, uh, I ate nuts and everything. And Crohn's is clearly, I mean, if you don't have a bag, obviously, it's pretty much an invisible disability. How do you talk to people about it? Obviously, you seem very open about it. But you know, whenever you're meeting someone or maybe thinking about applying to jobs or maybe going to school or, you know, how do you tell Um, people? I struggled with Crohn's disease because I'm very young and I think if you're younger it's a little bit hard and maybe I'd, I'd get in the queue for a disabled toy and people would pull me and be like you're not going to go and I'd have to then explain to them what my disability was and it's not their business and I think you have to have again patience with other people because it's not that people are being ignorant they're being rude and disrespectful on purpose they're just they don't have the knowledge and the awareness about the disease and that's then when I think you you take on a bit of responsibility to educate them because then they might not do it to somebody else in the queue you know it's a teaching moment I think it's the same with going for a job. I went. I, I remember I applied for a job and I just broke it down for them straight away and said, look, this is something I'm stuck with. However, I don't think it, you know, it stops me in any way, shape or form performing to the best of my ability. I want to show you what the best of my ability is. If you give me that chance, that's fine. I think it's a case of really explaining to people carefully and calmly what it is, because the minute you get your back up about it and you feel like, um, you know, it's not fair and it's that you know, the people switch off and they don't want to know. And that's not going to help us as a uh, IBD community at all. If you are worried about the job, then, you know, I, I think the worst thing you can do is keep it from your employer until you've got the job and then break it down to them because I think that breaks a level of trust. I think they would have a lot more uh, respect for you and hold you in a higher regard if you, if, you, if you break it down to them just before, during your interview process or when you're first getting to know them, I think. And what are some of those accommodations would you be asking for in your workplace? I did uh, actually lose a job because they were really not understanding at all of how regularly at the time I needed to go to the toilet. I think you need some form of understanding with your manager, whether it's a look across the room if you don't want to make it obvious or a certain like pass or something just so that you can go and have a minute to yourself and that you can go to the toilet as and when. And I think that's it, really. I think in terms of just understanding your employer, that you might need to excuse yourself. Even if you're in pain, you need to have five minutes to yourself because you're in pain or anything like that. And have a sort of understanding of, you know, I will not disrespect you and call in sick left, right and centre. And please know that if I do, it means I'm really, really ill. 
And just being really transparent with them because the more transparent you are, they can't really question you because you're being truthful and honest. It's when you start keeping things and they're like, well, how do I know if you're telling the truth? How do I know, you know, if you really are poorly? So it's just transparency. Right. And that's the key, right? With any kind of relationship that you build is that trust and really being open and honest. And I think that's something that we're working on with our company is really promoting disability inclusion and acceptance and understanding accommodations and why they're important. Because yeah, yeah, who are you to say like, I'm only allowed to go to the bathroom once a day? Like, you know, so... That's not for you to say. And if you're patient with them, they have a lot more room to be consciously empathetic. Mm -hmm. And And how do you think it's... Yeah, definitely. And how do you think it's changed your life for the better? Are there any positive things that come out of it? It's it's humbled me a lot. Having this illness has humbled me a lot. I think before I was poorly, my biggest focus was like friends and boys and all the normal teenage stuff and like the newest pair of trainers and like the best iPhone and all that sort of stuff. And now I'm like, do you know what they're all bonuses? My health my health, which is such a simple thing in a sense and something that people take for granted so much, whether they're binge eating, binge drinking, not exercising or, you know, like just anything. Like my health is really important and everything else is a great bonus. And I feel like with my health, whether that's my physical or mental health, is in its best state. My relationships are, are great. And I don't think I'd have learned that. I really don't think I'd have, I've learned how important your health is if I hadn't have had this illness. I know I wouldn't, not yet anyway. Because my brother's 26 yeah. and he's still really annoying and he binge eats McDonald's every day. So I know full well, I'd probably have followed his footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it's it's very similar parallel with me, like having a disease and it's being progressive and you know every year is different for me. I never know what's going to come out of it. And just... Yeah, all those like you got a bad haircut or like your nail breaks or something like a lot of those things like just they don't really matter. So it's really nice to hear that you kind of feel that same way that health the the real things that make you a person and yeah like family and relationships and like health and like clean water and like those are like quality things yeah. that you need in life to be really yeah. happy and healthy. So yeah, cool. So another thing is I like to plan a lot of work events and thinking about accessible events and design Mm. and inclusion. Is there anything about like an event that you go to? What about... Do you go to like concerts and music festivals Mm -hmm. or other things? Mm. Yeah, I do. I find... I probably go out... I go out a lot more now I've not got a bag because when I did have a bag, I really struggled, especially in like nightclubs and concerts. People be like, where have you got that key from? And it just ruined the evening for me. So I'd actually avoid it. Um, and that's a shame because I don't think that should be a thing. But now, I, now I've not got a bag, I probably go out more. Now I'm as healthy as I am, I do. When I was really poorly, I didn't. And I think it's really important for events to become more accessible to people, nightclubs, bars, restaurants, just places where you know, the, the, the normal, the, you know, healthy functioning person will go and really be able to just enjoy themselves and things that they wouldn't think about. I feel like they need to think about more that actually some people need that extra support and need that extra accessibility to really enjoy their experience. And I think that's something that really needs to happen, but I do still go out and I do still party. I never stopped entirely because I'm a bit of a party animal, but it's really nice that, that you know, you're in the same boat as me. Sure. And what do you typically look for when you're out and about? Like what's always on your mind? I always make sure there's a toilet wherever I am. Even if I don't need to use it, it's something... It is comforting. And I think that is from when I was so poorly. 
knowing there's one there, I feel a lot more comfortable knowing I can access it easily. If I, you know, for example, if I'm in a bar and there's a queue for the toilet, a part of me gets a bit panicky because I'm thinking if I need to go, I need to go. I probably won't, but it's just knowing I can't access it as and when I can. But the first thing I check when I go into any form of public space is if there is a bathroom or a toilet. What about you? Yeah, that would be the same for me because like for me, I look through it through a wheelchair perspective lenses. And I've been to... I traveled a lot in Europe and that was always like, crap, okay, so if I go somewhere, is the restaurant going to be accessible and will they have an accessible bathroom? Yeah. Like, will they have grab bars and will it be tall enough? It's always hit or miss I found in Europe. So... Yeah, definitely. Would you think it's... The access is... The accessibility is better in Europe or America? What do you say? I think it just depends on what what is like the aspect of accessibility that you're looking for. I yeah. think Europe does a really great job of coming up with really inventive and smart ways of doing accessibility because so many things are historic. Mm-hmm. And so they can't just like tear down the building and rebuild it, right? So, so yeah. So historic I, and they're listed as well. And it's so annoying because especially like in London, everything's listed. Yeah. Right. And as I found in London is even with the tube, just certain stations weren't accessible. Mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. Yeah. Oh, so annoying, honestly. <laughs> certain stations don't have a lift access. Like I think that's something they really need to work on, but whether they'll they'll do it is another story. They've got plenty of things they think are more important. So Yeah. The other Ugh. thing in, in London and Europe I found is everything's much vertical because it's there's not a lot of space. Like out in America, yeah. there's so much space. So you go into like a Target or Walmart and they're like the size of a football field. Like, oh my so, gosh, literally. They're so big. <laughs> I know, I, I've, I went, I've been to Florida quite a few times. I've been to Florida, LA, Miami and New York. And New York is so tight. It's the closest to London I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Uh, but Florida, Walmart, like Macy's. I walk in, I can't see the end of the shop. No. Nope. <laughs> the biggest supermarket I've ever been to here. I could probably throw a ball and it hit the other wall. You know, it's absolutely crazy. Well, thinking about just like the space, right? In the distance. And for you, mm-hmm. when you have to go to the bathroom, like, is it an urgency? So you're like, crap, if, if, if it, oh, no pun intended. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, is it a distancing where you're like, okay, that's really far away and I have to go now? Or did you find it that experience be, in, in Florida? Instant. It used to okay. be like, oh my gosh, I have to go right now. Now I think I'll probably get about 10 minutes. I think I got okay. about 10 minutes before. So you have a buffer a little bit yeah. just to be like, okay, where am I at? Where do I need to go? Yeah. Who do I yeah. need to ask? Literally. <laughs> and thinking about, you know, you're young, just like I am like dating and everything. We both yeah. know what the challenges bring with having a, a disability or just being different, I would say. Yeah. Um, it's having to have that, that initial like? con- having to have that initial conversation, and you you watch. Is it just me? But you watch their face so intently because you want to see because they've got their face value sort of reaction, and then you've got their reaction that's sort of behind their eyes, and you look for it because you just. And half the time, you know, they're absolutely fine with it, but you look for it, and you're really worried they're not gonna. That's that was my biggest stress when I had a bag. I was like, you know, are you just being nice because you have to be nice, right? Or are you being nice because you you know you, you really don't judge me, you know? Yeah. What has that? I mean, have you had other people that have been like, mm, "No, I can't deal with this." I've had a couple of people who've been like, "No, that's absolutely not not me." Uh, I've had some people, you know, who are couldn't care less, and I've had some people who love me even more for it, you know. So it, it. it varies with everybody, I think. Sure. Yeah. 
Well, I know you kind of got diagnosed later in life, but um, thinking about K through 12 and even uni, just what would that look like? What would support look like for you? Going through education. Uh huh. It would be, for me, my biggest struggle in education was the teachers not understanding at all what, thank you, the teachers not understanding at all, you know, how best to handle my needs and actually being in a classroom with other people who didn't think it was fair that you got to leave the room on a regular basis and things like that so my biggest thing that I'd love to happen in schools more would be to have more disability awareness sort of sessions Mm -hmm. and classes I feel like schools are great at teaching you you know photosynthesis and algebra but everyday life and the different types of people you're going to encounter and that you're actually around every day and, and learning with every day you need to educate yourself and in schools I feel like as much as it's your responsibility to do it it's also the teachers because it's a place of teaching and I feel like the teachers are great on saying you know we're really inclusive you know we, we really like diversity but actually using it as an using it as an example to really educate people mm-hmm. because it's great kids are inclusive but what they need to understand what they're being inclusive of right yeah. And I think also I've gone to career panels in my mom's fifth grade class. And I yeah. know just going to them, they've like never seen a wheelchair before. And they're always yeah. so fascinated by it. But yeah. that's the thing. It's like, why aren't we talking about disabilities in the K through 12? Because that's where the prime learning is. Oh, of course. Definitely. That's what, that's what I mean. I think, I think also, you know, it is nurture. It's not nature. You're not, you're not born with these negative views or these, these, you know, old school opinions. You're taught them. And I think when your mind's most moldable is, is when you should be taught it because then it becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. Because it's great, you know, learning these things or meeting someone who has Crohn's disease or whatever when you're later on in life and you've maybe lived 15 years without, you know, meeting anyone who's a bit different. But if you're sort of educated, you know, you're educated on that from such a young age, it becomes the norm. Right. Would you like to see more educations or trainings in textbooks and on the media? Yes, I'd love to. Yeah. I'm, planning to go, I'm planning to go to some primary, I was meant to be going to a few primary schools and doing some um, readings and stuff with children. Oh, cool. But then uh, coronavirus hit, so that's right. a minute hitting that. But I think wanting it and actively doing something about it, two different things, and that's why I was really keen to do your podcast because I really get good energy and really like people that are in the same boat as me, which is like, do you know what? These, this is where I feel, but I'm going to crack on and have a go at myself and, 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 and take, take steps forward myself. I think there's a lot of people that sit and, and want things to happen, but don't do anything about it. So the aim is to do a few things myself and see what happens, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Just always... I think that's the best thing that we can do. We have a story, we have a voice and mm. go out and do it and talk about it. Break down yeah. those barriers, build that community, those yeah. allies, especially at a young age, because like yeah. I said, the kids are where they're most prime and they're wanting to learn the exactly. most. And they find it fascinating at that point. So they don't even think it's, you know, different or weird or whatever they like to say. That, that you know, they'll think it's really cool and they'll be like, what? So many right. more questions. Well, kids are a lot more inquisitive. I think kids are also way more blunt and honest than yeah. as you do as an adult because you've learned that it's not okay to really like You're call less people out. Yeah. <laughs> So I always get those kids all the time of just like, why are you why are you sitting and rolling at the same time? Or like, what's wrong with you? You know, they like to say those things yeah. really loud and out and about. But yeah, feel free to share more about Crohn's and the challenges. That, that was all like my main questions that I had. But with Crohn's disease, I think the most important thing is just to be really patient with your body. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And, and and actually a lot of people have Crohn's disease get really frustrated because they're like, why me? Or, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, 
one day you're really fine and you don't even have you feel like you don't even have the disease and the next minute it's not the wind out of you and you you can't move and I think the most important thing is to surrender your body when when it needs the rest give it the rest don't kick don't beat it down don't make it feel like mm-hmm. push it and gone you'll just make your failure surrender to have a day off when you need to you know and then let people around you know that's what you're needing to do and hopefully they'll help support you and if you're around people that don't support that then find new people to be around it's as simple as that right and what would you like to see more? Or I guess, let me think about it. Like in the, I, I remember when I was watching the Victoria's Secret fashion show, I looked at those women and I'm like, none of those represent me. What would you like to see yeah. more in the fashion industry? How could like, how could you represent Crohn's disease? Would it be like having a bag outside or I guess that's I the most it, notable thing. Yeah. I think as much as it's the, the, the whole bag thing, I think it's also just normal real bodies no mm-hmm. uh, a body that isn't a size four my stomach's covered in scars now from surgery show us a body with a scar show us mm-hmm. a model with a bikini model who has a massive open surgery scar up, up the front of her stomach because that is a strong warrior woman and I feel mm-hmm. a lot better watching her strut her stuff down the, the catwalk because I'm, I can see obviously she's come a very long way to where yeah. she is and gone through a lot I think real women you know, with, whether they're showing their bag or not, I think is 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 great. But I think just real human bodies. I think um, mm-hmm. you know, women and men in wheelchairs, women and men on crutches, um, amputees, you know, overweight people, very slender people, tall, short, anything, but just a lot more diversity. Not just a white and a black model, or a <laughs> ginger and a blonde model. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't yeah. mean you're 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 you're, you're, you're diverse. And that's what annoys me. I think the modeling industry a lot claims that to be diversity and it's mm-hmm. not. Right. So that's yeah, I think important. just like the media, the all of it just kind of portrays people in, an, in a not so realistic way. But what are yeah. some of those other biases that you see either with disabilities or Crohn's or anything else that you want to share? Other well, biases, I think people think that you are putting on just because one day you're fine and the next day, like I could have a great day at school and the next day my mum's like, Georgina can't move today, she can't come in. They'll be like, well, she was fine yesterday. And my mum's like, she's she wasn't coming down with a cold. Yeah. <laughs> she's having a Crohn's flare. It's very different. And I think people don't have a lot of patience for people when they can't see. A lot of the human mindset is to believe it, is to see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Crohn's disease and invisible disabilities, you don't see it. So that that needs to be broken. I think. So talk to me about a bad day that you have nowadays. The type of day that I have now, I'll get up about 9am and I'll probably take azathioprine and that targets my disease at the source and almost it's like pouring a really cold glass of milk on a lava, like it just cools it down for the day. Hmm. I then have to take anti-sickness because it makes me a bit dizzy. And then I'll get on with my day. And then once a week, I will inject myself with something called Humira, which targets TNF, which is like a tumor neurosis thing. I don't really know. I just do as I'm told and take what I'm told yeah. to take. I will make sure I eat as much as I can because I love food. And there was a time when I couldn't eat anything without being in pain, like a packet of crisps. So now I literally inhale everything that's in my sight. <laughs> and I'll probably binge watch Netflix at the moment because it's locked down. But I'm trying to do some form of exercise every day because exercise really helps my Crohn's and helps with my chronic fatigue. So I'm trying to do a bit of exercise. But that's sort of my, my day at the moment. What about yours? 
So my day now, I guess, I mean, I have a job, so I work from, you know, nine to five. And then usually after call, Zoom, Zoom calls, a lot of them. I'm taking a branding course right now. So I'm trying to really like build up this podcast and like create it as a whole brand and product. So learning how to market it and advertise it. So I interview a lot of people on the weekend. So yeah, just that's kind of like my day to day. And then I... I do a lot of advocacy at the city government. So right now, a lot of it is virtual. So I do a lot Mm -hmm. of things of transit equity. So I I try to make bus stops accessible. I rate them and I have them fix them when they're broken or whatever. So I do a lot in the city space, trying to make my, my physical environment more accessible because that's the biggest obstacle for me is... There's only so much yeah. I can do if it's not a paved path. I can't access it. Yeah. So, what does a bad day look like for you? When you're, is it when you are you in physical pain? You can't move. What does that look like for yeah. you? A bad day for me is I probably get up and I will go straight to the toilet. I'll know a bad day is coming when I'm on the toilet for more than ten minutes, mm-hmm. and then I'm so tired I have to get back to bed. I will then probably sleep till four in the afternoon. Have a piece of toast if my stomach can handle it. And I will try and I will nap. My body will just turn off. My body's almost like a TV on standby. Like it, if it needs to go, it needs to go. Even if my brain is wide awake and my body's knackered, mm-hmm. I have to just lay in bed and I'll just sit on my phone or something. But I can't. My joints will swell sometimes. So I struggle to get up the stairs and stuff like that. So for me, it's just bed bound and it can last from one day to, to five. And there's no telling when that will happen. It just kind of just No happens. telling when that will happen. Yeah, I've had I've not had one for about a year now, which is why I'm doing. Oh, very, wonderful! Very well. I know, I know. You so, and you look so glowy and beautiful, oh, and like I could just so tell, like your spirit, just so you could feel it. Um, yeah, it, it really, feel, it feel, really shows. So. Oh, thank you so much. I do feel I feel much better. Doctors really proud of me. My treatments working. So we'll just see how long it lasts. <laughs> oh, how wonderful! Well, I'm so glad for you to hear that. Hopefully. So I guess, are you in a state of remission or is it just like a good yes. state? What's that term? I got called about three weeks ago to say that I was in a state of remission. So this is the first time I've ever been in Did you like pop some bubbly? <laughs> I, literally, I cried at first and then we had a glass of wine, one of the Chinese, like there you go. my family. It was amazing, honestly. <laughs> and now I'm anxious. I'm anxious because I feel like, or I think because when you've been through something so, you know, traumatic as, you know, what I did when I was poorly, part of me is anxious that I'm going to get back to that. But I'm also trying to take every day as it comes. So we'll just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, every day is just a, a day that you have to take it on and plan yeah. for what it's going to be. And if it if it doesn't go your way, then that just that's the day, right? Exactly. So. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your light and your energy. And I really appreciated your time. Is there anything thank else you want you to share? Thank you so much for having oh, me. Oh, where, where can people find you? Top plug. So Give us your me. plugs. Uh, my plugs are so people can find me on Instagram. It's Georgina um, Aurelia, which is G E O R G I N A U R E L I A, and my YouTube channel, which is Georgina Aurelia. Again, <laughs> I didn't know you had a YouTube channel, so I'll, I'll have to watch it and check. Yes, it out. I do have a YouTube channel. That's where I filmed all my hostel experiences and things oh, like great. that. Oh, great. Because I thought that I'd only been in hospital for two days and then I ended up being in there for a month with a bag and you can see my real reactions because obviously I wasn't expecting it. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a great... Well, that's so perfect because there's so many people that just don't know what it is and maybe someone who is going through that or 
maybe could go through that, they have an idea. Yeah. So I love sharing those real time experiences. Yeah, it was it was it was a it's difficult to watch back to see how poorly I was, but it's also so nice because it shows how far I've come. Yeah, so. you're a warrior. You really are. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, Georgina. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Carden at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.